0: Over the uh, last couple of months, I guess it's really kind of been maybe uh, hard to ascertain just because it's been a little bit choppy. We've had a couple of uh, visiting speakers uh, here the last couple of weeks, but we really thought that it was important that over the last couple of months we really emphasize our mission statement, and it's up on the screen, trust God, love people, share hope, and you know, I don't know, I probably wasn't even here when that uh, mission statement was developed. But, you know, I, I think it's a good one. I think it's what we should be about as a church family. Building trust, building faith, building saving faith in our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Loving people. Uh, In other words, really that component is really important, and that's really the component that I'm supposed to be speaking on this morning, and I hope that comes out really in the lesson this morning, but it's really about us living together in community and being a community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the final component, share hope, because really the faith, the hope, the love that we have in Jesus Christ, we want to share that. And we want to bring others into this loving community as well. And so that's really been our focus over the last couple of months. And we really felt that it was necessary that we emphasize that from time to time. Because so oftentimes I think that we go along as a church family and we kind of lose sight of what, you know, what we're doing here. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, well, there's there's no vision, there's no clear mission or anything like that. But there is a mission. There is a mission and there is a vision. And this speaks to it. We want to build our faith and our trust in our God. We want to come and be more of a loving community that's centered around Jesus Christ. And we want to share that hope with others. And so we certainly hope and pray that, uh, you know, maybe even if you haven't clearly seen it in the lessons over the past few weeks, that we'll keep that in mind uh, as we continue to go along uh, as a church family. This morning I really want to talk about uh, what kind of community do we want to be? What, what kind of family do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? What do you want our community to look like? And what I really want to do is I want to take uh, some of the things that we've been talking about in our Ephesian study because it's really been a powerful study for me And I really want to apply some of those passages uh, in our lesson this morning, as well as even one or two passages that we've been looking at in our midweek study in the Philippian letter. I got the wrong papers here. I get too many papers in my notebook sometimes. I want to begin by reading uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 12. The Apostle Paul said, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I'm sorry, I can see this is already going to be, (laughs) this is going to be difficult. All right, in this passage that we've read uh, from the Ephesian letter, Paul talks about this mystery, this mystery that was hidden for ages in the mind of God, and he also talked about in that passage that through the church, through the church, that is, through those who believe in Jesus Christ, God's manifold wisdom. God's multifaceted, God's infinite wisdom was now to be made known and now to be displayed and demonstrated for everyone to see. And that was going to take place, that was going to happen through the church. And in the context of this passage, Paul has a, a particular aspect of God's wisdom in mind. Uh, he's talking here about God's plan to bring Jews and Gentiles together in one body, in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about that, uh, you know, that really may not mean very much to us as we look at it today. Uh, here, as we look at it 2,000 years from the time when the Apostle Paul wrote it, but understand that this was a, a big deal back in biblical times, back during the time when Paul wrote this that uh, Jews and Gentiles would come together in one body. You know, when we talk about the Gentiles, essentially we're talking about the nations, those who were not Israelites, those who were not of the Jewish faith or of the Jewish community, because back then, uh, you know, there were Jews, the Israelites, God's chosen people under the Old Covenant, and there was everybody else, the Gentiles. And, you know, essentially... They had no dealings with one another. Uh, the word together was generally never used when you spoke about Jews and Gentiles back then, back in biblical times. The Jews actually at times really despised the Gentiles. They had become so separate because they took pride in the fact of their circumcision, their special relationship with God, that they actually called the Gentiles dogs. You know, now, once again, now, you know, I I think today we are in a time where, you know, dogs, our pets are really very special. But, you know, I've got a little dog, Lexi, and I love Lexi, but, you know, there's a difference there. There's a separation there. Uh, I mean, she eats in her place, and I eat in my place. She sleeps in her place and I sleep in my place. Now I recognize that's not the same for everybody. But uh I understand that there's a difference, there's a distinction between dogs and men. And so that was uh that was very evident back in biblical times because you know they didn't look on dogs like we look on dogs today. The dogs were mongrels, they were wild beasts, so to speak, and they were generally not pets like we view them today. Well, I said all that to say the fact that, you know what, there was this great gap between Jew and Gentile. There was a great distinction between Jew and Gentile. That's how great the gap was because they actually referred to them as dogs. Yet Paul tells us in this passage that this mystery of God is that he was going to bring Jews and Gentiles together in one body through the blood of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in chapter 2, in 11 and 13, he said, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is an amazing passage. And it was really amazing to them back there. Because, once again, Jew and Gentile together, they just it was hard to comprehend. And now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, they were going to come together in one body. Amazing passage of Scripture there. But, beloved, this morning, I believe that the work of Jesus at Calvary, it did more than just bring Jews and Gentiles together. The blood of Jesus was sufficient to break down any and all human barriers. All human barriers, including all of those that we think about so many times today. Uh, It was sufficient to break down racial barriers, cultural barriers, financial barriers, social and political barriers, and in Christ, people of all races, backgrounds, and social cultures and everything can come together in one body by the blood of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29, uh, Paul said, for in Christ Jesus You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise." Over and over again, the Apostle Paul, he magnifies the work of Jesus Christ and how it brought people together in one body by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I think that we can actually see this plan of God unfolding in the very beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, as we go back and look at that background-wise, the Bible is telling us that you know, thousands of Jews from all over the known world they made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. That was uh, an annual thing when these uh, major feasts of the Jewish people came around, uh, they would uh, have a pilgrimage, so to speak, where they would come to Jerusalem, uh, gather around the temple and around the temple courts in order to celebrate and proclaim these great feasts and so You've got thousands of Jews, some say as many as a million Jews, have come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Now, on this particular time, after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, after his death, burial, and resurrection, while they were there, there's this miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And the crowd would gather around into the place of the temple court to see what was going on. And it was at that time when Peter and the rest of the apostles, they stood together to preach what we often call the very first gospel sermon as they proclaimed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, the response to that sermon was that over 3,000 people are baptized into Jesus Christ, and they would become charter members of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even though there were no Gentiles among these early Christians, we need to consider the fact that these people were from all over the known world. Matter of fact, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 11 in Acts, mention about 17 various different people groups that came together on that day. And all of a sudden, you got these 17 different types of people, 17 different cultures, 17 different nations, 17 different people coming together in this community of believers. And now they make up the church of Jesus Christ. Well, how is this mixed group of people, this mixed bag of people from a variety of countries and cultures going to respond, being in and around one another? Well, I think we'll see it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, uh, the Bible says, And all who believed were together and had all things common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, when we look at that passage, I think it tells us and demonstrates to us how these people responded to one another. We see that word together a couple of times in that passage. Uh, They were learning about Jesus together. Uh, They were eating together. They were worshiping together, praying together. Even as diverse as they all were, even as Uh, from far away, as some of them had come, here they were together, and now the gospel has brought them all together, and they become one in Jesus Christ. Well, some time passes, and then we come to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through verse 35, and to me, this has always just been an amazing passage of scripture. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, uh, the Bible says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart, As any had need. Once again, I, I just think that this is an amazing passage. It may not really seem like it, but it's an amazing passage. Because this community of believers, which numbered now in the thousands uh, from different places, different cultures, different backgrounds, and yet the Bible says that the full number of them were of one heart and one soul. What does that mean? One heart and one soul. You know, obviously all of these people didn't all of a sudden lose their individuality and become become clones of one another. But now the blood of Jesus has made them one. They all shared a common faith. They shared a common goal. And what they all had in common uh, now was greater than all of their differences. They now found their identity in Jesus Christ. And that oneness that they shared, it impacted the way that they responded to one another. Uh, No one said that anything that belonged to him was his own. In other words, they they shared everything. Uh, Everything that they had now really belonged to the community. And, you know, that wasn't some uh, 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 newfangled form of communism or or anything of that nature. But you know what? Uh, Because of the love they had for Jesus Christ and the love that they now had for one another, they shared everything. Everything became everybody's. They took care of each other. They made sure that everyone was taken care of. The Bible says that there was not a needy person among them. And, you know, that's an amazing passage because by now uh, the church has really probably blossomed and there's probably maybe close to 10,000 believers. And to me, that's just an amazing passage of Scripture. Well, then we come to Acts chapter 6. And, you know, because this community of believers is made up of people, And we know what happens when people come together because, you know, people are imperfect and people are broken, uh, just like us. And, you know, trouble arises in the midst of what really seems like paradise. And so the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, once again, we can read that passage, and that might really get by us. We may see, okay, well, that's not a big deal, but you know what? That was huge. That was huge. Because, you know, you think about it, you've got this multitude of people, and they're diverse, everybody's eating, everybody's being taken care of, everybody's being ministered to, except your group, except your group little community here. You know, what's going on here? We know how that would look in our day and time, especially in our me society. What's the matter? Y'all don't like us? Uh, What's the matter? We don't count? How come our widows are not being taken care of? Everybody else is eating. And you know, that's the type of thing that tears churches apart. And we've seen it time and time again, even in our day in society, even on such a smaller level, yet, you know, we know that these are the type of problems that really tear churches apart. It divides people. This could have stunted the growth of the movement. But instead, as you read Acts chapter 6, they dealt with this problem in a wise, compassionate, and Christ-like manner. And then after that, they went right back to being this beautiful community that was growing, flourishing, and drawing people because Jesus was at the center of it. Verse 7 of Acts chapter 6, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This church, this community of believers, they were so devoted to Jesus, so devoted to his kingdom, so devoted to each other, that they were nearly inseparable. And you know, it finally took, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, a great persecution to arise to finally divide them and get them to scatter and go back to the places that they came from. And when they divided, when they scattered, they took that love, they took that same hope, they took that same message everywhere they went, and they continued to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we look at the Jerusalem church in these first few chapters of the book of Acts, I ask the question, isn't that the kind of church the kind of community that we want? isn't that something that we would like to be a part of? A group that's so devoted to Jesus, to the cause of his cause of Christ, and devoted to one another, that they were just nearly inseparable, and that everyone was being taken care of, and there's this great sense of community among them. Now, somebody might say, well, uh, that was the perfect church back then. Uh, they had the apostles right there with them. Uh, they had the Holy Spirit. They had miracles. And so, you know, we, we can't duplicate that. Well, beloved, we can duplicate that because the fact of the matter is that, you know, we may not have the apostles here in the flesh, but we certainly have their teachings in Scripture. We have the teachings of Jesus and the apostles right here with us in Scripture and everything that they learn, we can learn here today. So, yes, we do have those same advantages. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. You know, we've got to believe that. That's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He said, you know, believe and be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, yes, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling just like they have the Holy Spirit. And the same power that was at work with them, that same power is present with us today, beloved. So we can be that same type of church, that same loving, growing, flourishing community that was present back then. But here's the thing. That doesn't just happen by accident. It doesn't just happen. That happens when we will allow the Spirit of God and His Word to be the motivating factor within us and within our church family. That has to be the motivation for us in order to excel as a community of believers. So I want to just talk a little bit about Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, before I close. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, very familiar passage of Scripture, but an excellent passage of Scripture for what we're talking about this morning. Paul said there, he said, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Once again, that's a great passage, and that, in short, is a recipe for the type of church that we saw in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Once again, in this passage, we see this idea of having the same mind Uh, living in full accord, being of one mind. We see that echoed again in Scripture. And once again, this is not about us conforming to some pattern, some pattern that says, you know, uh, all the women have to have long hair and wear jean skirts. It's not about something like that. It's not about a pattern that says, you know, the men can't have tattoos or wear an earring or they've all got to wear the same haircut. That's not what this is talking about here. But it's talking about everyone sharing the reality and the mindset that this is the kingdom of God and Jesus is Lord. This is the body of Jesus Christ. And when we all share that reality, it becomes more important than our various differences. We no longer find our identity in our race or our education level or our our political beliefs or any of those things, but we find our identity in Jesus Christ. And we all rally around that, and we all embrace that, and that becomes the central thing in our life. You know, beloved, if my ethnicity becomes more important than my identity in Christ, then it's not going to be long before we bump heads on some social issue and we're going to lose sight of who we are and we're going to fall apart over that thing. Uh, If my identity is my political beliefs, if that it becomes uh, central and above who I am in Jesus Christ, Uh, It's not going to be long before we're falling out over some uh, political issue. And, you know, those things in the scheme of eternity, they are nothing. They are nothing. And we need to understand that and we need to believe that. So Paul said in Galatians 5.15, he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so when we start biting and devouring one another, it's usually over those types of things those things that have no eternal value. Being of the same mind means that the same person, Jesus, is the central influence in our life, and that will ultimately overcome our differences. It means that we all find our identity in the person of Jesus. Beloved, I will always root for the chiefs over the cowboys. (laughs) But you know what? In the scheme of eternity, that's meaningless. It means nothing. And so therefore, why should we fall out over that? Why should we fall out over that? Why should that divide us? Why should that impact our oneness in Jesus Christ? It should not. It should not. Paul says in this passage that nothing should be done from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, I shouldn't force my ideas or my desires on the community simply because it's what I want, simply because it's my dream, simply because I believe I know what's best for everyone else, and so therefore I try to push my agenda. That should never be. That's selfish. That's what selfish ambition looks like. Paul says, rather in humility... We count everyone as significant. Count everyone as valuable. Everyone has value. Everyone has feelings. And we need to consider those feelings. We need to be considerate of one another. We don't simply look out for our own interests, but the interests of others. Not just what's best for me, but what's best for the next person and what's best for the community. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. We cannot possess a my way or the highway mentality. We cannot allow the spirit that is so pervasive in our world and our society to creep in among us. That attitude which says, I'm the most important thing in my life, and so I need to get what I want, what I think should be the rule, and everything is about me. And if that's the rule, if that's the attitude that we carry, then beloved, we are not going to be that kind of community that we see in the book of Acts. We're not going to display the manifold wisdom of God being the church that he created us to be. Too many times we hear it said things like, I don't like the worship style. I don't like the songs that they sang today. I didn't like that lesson well, you know what? It's not all about me. It's not just about me and what I want. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32 through 33, he said, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they might be saved. What an amazing attitude we carried that attitude, I tell you what, churches would be growing and flourishing instead of shrinking and splitting. Not about pleasing just me, but thinking about the next person. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they might be saved. If we're not willing to surrender our own ego and in the spirit of Christ put our own interest our own likes and dislikes aside for the good of the community, then there's a good chance that we'll individually bounce around from church to church, not asking what can I bring to this family or how can I serve in this community, but rather what can they do for me? And we see that a lot. We see that all the time today. So what kind of community do you want to be a part of today? You want to be like the Jerusalem church that we read about in Acts that displayed a oneness and a unity that was so attractive that people were drawn to this wonderful community. Yes, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves, but the church must display the genuine love of God and how we love one another, and how we live in community, it matters, it matters. It's impressive to me that the great majority of the people who became members of this church family since I've been here, they pointed to how they felt loved and accepted here. I haven't run into anybody, I don't think, that talked about the worship style, the ones that have stayed here and become a part of this community, they haven't talked about how great the preaching is or how great the singing is or anything like that. Yeah, those things, are there. But they've talked about the love and the warmth and the acceptance they've felt. That's a wonderful testimony for our church. And we need to build on that. We need to build on that. We need to let that be the watchword of our church family here. Let's pray together. Father God, we come in Jesus' name. We're thankful, Lord God, for today. And Father, we just really thank you for your word, dear God, and how it impresses our hearts and our minds, Father. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, God, for this church family, Father. Lord God, may we be one. May we have one heart, one mind, and be in full accord, as your word teaches us. May we rally around Jesus Christ, and his bloodstained banner, and let that be the central thing in our lives today, Father. And Heavenly Father, may that oneness, may it be a drawing card, may it be something that shines in this community, and others come to Jesus Christ, because we've displayed the manifold wisdom of God.